welcome to the Serious Leisure podcast. My name is Petya Petrova. I'm your host for today's podcast. I'm joined by our regular podcast contributors, Dr. Sam Elkington and Kat Branch. Sam is from Teesside University. He's our Serious Leisure expert. Welcome, Sam. Thanks, Petya. Hello, everybody. Kat leads the University of the West of England Centre for Music. Welcome, Kat. Morning, everybody. Hello. For our listeners, we often refer to the University of the West of England as UE. So what is this podcast about? Well, in this podcast, we share stories about our leisure pursuits, about our passions, our hobbies and our interests. We reflect on our attempts to successfully or not so successfully balance work and leisure time. And we draw on insights from the serious leisure perspective and the vast literature on it. You're listening to our season three. You can find recordings of our two first seasons on southcloud.com. We are very excited to welcome today our two guests. Martin Williams is lecturer in marketing at UI. Welcome, Martin. Thank you very much. Lovely to be here. And we also have George Howard, who is an alumnus of UI. He graduated in 2015 with a BA in business management with economics. Welcome, George. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for having me. Martin and George, we're so grateful that you're joining us today. And we're so grateful to Kat and Sam to, for their continued engagement with this podcast. And don't we have an episode for you today? Martin and George are here to talk to us about Dungeons and Dragons. Many of you may be familiar with D&D. For others, watching the TV series Stranger Things, maybe the closest thing you've come to Dungeons and Dragons, D&D. But some of you may be saying, say what now? <laughs> what are we talking about here today? So let's start with what Dungeons and Dragons is. George, would you just explain to us here and to our audience, what is Dungeons and Dragons? At the core element of it is a improv story. You as a character can do anything you, you'd like with your actions and your results being decided by talking to the person who's running the, uh, the game, known as the Dungeon Master or Game Master, depending on uh, what they prefer to be called, and by rolling a dice, which is normally a 20-sided dice. From the number of the dice, of 20 being the best you can get, uh, one being the lowest, you can tackle issues depending on how well you do as a character builds. So for example, a if you're trying to solve a riddle, a smarter character might roll a d20 and then add four onto whatever they roll, or a someone who's maybe not as smart uh, might minus, say, two and reduce the overall role. From there, you work together as a team to complete a story, which has been very loosely created and working together to support each other to get to the ending. Thanks, George. That was a valiant attempt at this. And I think <laughs> I just about get it. 
Um, but I'll give Martin a try <laughs> to explain what Dungeons and Dragons is. And hopefully with two explanations, we kind of build a fuller picture if we never encountered any, any kinds of kind of gaming of that nature. Martin, would you give us your take on Dungeons and Dragons, please? Well, I think you have to imagine a group of people sitting around a table um, telling a story together. And one person's called the Dungeon Master or the Games Master. Uh, and as George says, all, all the rest uh, of the people around the table are playing characters, participants in that story. And the dungeon master will sort of set out the story, tell you what you see, tell you what's happening, and you have to decide as a team how to react. Um, so you can do all sorts of things. You can do anything you like, uh, as George says, as long as you've got the, the ability to be able to do it. You can roll dice, the funny-shaped dice that we often associate with these kinds of games, um, to see whether you manage to do it. And the better you are at doing uh, at doing a particular skill, the more chance that you succeed. Um, so it's working together as a team to tell a story. That's that's how I tend to think of it. It's set in a fantasy type setting, isn't it, Martin? So we're not talking about, you know, a role-playing an adventure to Tesco, right? So it's, uh, or, uh, you know, imagining, you know, we're in New York going on a shopping trip. We're, it's very much set in this sort of fantasy world of elves and goblins. and Very much so, yes. Um, and Dungeons and Dragons is, is a fantasy world, um, but you can have role-playing games in all sorts of different genres. So Traveller was another classic one, which is science fiction. Uh, Call of Cthulhu is kind of set in the, the world of uh, an author called H.P. Lovecraft, where you're playing sort of Victorian or turn-of-the-century adventurers trying to sort of deal with cosmic horror. Um, there are all sorts of different things, and, there's, and, it's, and it's just growing and growing. There's so many. But D&D is the original, right, Martin? d is the original, yes. Yeah. Started in 1974, so it's coming up on its 50th anniversary before too long. Right. So now we have the genre, the bigger picture, the masters, dungeon masters. We have interesting dices and we have scores and choices that create some kind of narrative, but also there is a range of improvisation and storytelling. I'm kind of looking at everybody here you know, on our recording and I'm getting some kind of notes, but this is my interpretation as somebody who's never done Dungeons and Dragons before. So hopefully uh, we're all a little bit clearer. Let's delve into the stories of Martin and George in terms of their Dungeons and Dragons history. So Martin, can we start with you? How and where your Dungeons and Dragons journey started? And where do we currently find you? So tell us your history with this, please. Well, I started playing a very long time ago. I started playing in 1983, I think, and I was introduced to it by friends. And I think, you know, in the 1980s, it was, you know, became quite popular. I think if you were a reasonably, you know, imaginative, creative kid in the 80s, either you would find it or it would find you. That's what happens with me. Um, I was introduced to it uh, through friends and, and really loved it. So I started playing with a wider group at school and started my school's kind of um, role-playing club uh, with, a, with a few others um, and then um, really got into it in a big way uh, at university. So as an undergraduate, I um, went along to my role-playing games club um, and uh, met some people and I'm still playing with them, whatever it is, 30 plus years later. Um, so it's been off and on over the last 30 years, more on than off. Um, but uh, we try to get together probably about uh, once a quarter for a weekend and start rolling the dice. Yeah. Thanks, Martin. We would delve in a minute about how do you sustain an interest and a hobby and a group of friends for 30 years. 
George, can you tell us about your history? And I think they kind of overlap here with 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 Martin. Where, where, and how did you start your Dungeons and Dragons journey? Uh, yeah, I started at quite a young age as well. Um, when I was at school, uh, me and a few friends we decided to give it a go. One of uh, my my close friends, his dad. Um, was quite a big fan of uh, Dungeons and Dragons, so we thought, yeah, we'll give it a go, we'll see, we'll see how, how, it, how it is, and uh, we were absolutely horrendous, we did not know what we were doing, it was chaos from start to finish, we didn't really know the rules, we didn't really know what we were doing, so it didn't really pan out that well, but I had fun, and the, the others not so much, so as a result, it was tabled for quite a while for me, um, then when I got to my final year of university and you had a few other friends who were telling me about their stories of uh, doing Dungeons and Dragons also as D&D and I wanted to get back into it so I found a few few people who wanted to play and just start playing then during Covid we got back into it and we've been playing nearly weekly since then. Thanks George. Okay so we have a history starting in the 80s kind of childhood encounters, university clubs, COVID kind of pushing and sustaining this, but we also have Martin's long-term engagement with, with a group of, of, of people coming together and playing Dungeons and Dragons. And Martin, I'm just wondering, how do you sustain a hobby? And how do you sustain a group of people engaging in the same hobby for 30 years? How, how, how does that, that work? Well, it's not easy. It's not easy to make time always. So we try and, and, and find a weekend, say about once a quarter that we can get together. But I think, you know, it's because it's fun. That's because it's 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 hugely enjoyable. It's just, I mean, I think if you if you were to watch us playing a game of D&D, you would, you would probably see us just laughing a lot for quite a long time. These games can go on for several hours, but it's just huge fun. We just, we're just laughing and um, sort of ribbing each other. And, you know, if somebody uh, does something silly, we'll have a bit of a laugh about it. Or if somebody tries to do a silly accent or something, you know, we'll, we'll kind of rib them a little bit about that. So it's just a sort of a, a framework around which we have a conversation, tell a story and laugh a lot. And I think because it's adventurous and challenging, um, an escapist and all of those kind of things. It's something we want to do. We want to meet. We'll travel halfway across the country to meet up uh, for a weekend and and do it together. Um, but I think also, I mean, I think you know, guys particularly, from my own experience, um, you know, need a reason almost to sort of get together. And I think D and D has been that for us. So it's helped sustain our friendship over all those years and keep us in contact with each other because we want to get together and do this um, as a group. So I think it's it's been really positive from that point of view. It's given us an excuse to get together. And I think it's really helped us as well, because I think, you know, obviously things like male suicide has been a is a problem in, in society. And I think anything that gets people together to have fun together, to laugh together, drink some beer and have some snacks and all of those kind of things, it's just an incredibly positive thing. And I think, you know, not long ago, there was, I think, Prince, Prince Harry and Prince William were doing some, some work around using football to help with sort of male mental health. And I think if you're not into sport, particularly, D&D kind of can serve a similar function. And, and so it's, it's a really positive thing. It's been a completely positive thing in my life for a very long time. Thanks, Martin. There's so much to unpack in what you just said, and I'm sure Kat and Sam would, would uh, come in shortly. I'm interested in the logistics of this. So 
do you like set, plan a Dungeons and Dragons weekend away? Do you do it in the evenings? Do you do it in person? Do you do it online? How? <laughs> how, how, how and when do you meet? And how do you, how do you schedule it logistically? How, how, how do you make time for it? How, how do you organize it? Well, um, we, when we were in university, we would play in the evenings and play quite a lot of it and, you know, even, even longer as we as we went on. Into third year, third year we were playing an awful lot, which is probably the, the one year you really shouldn't be playing too much of it, focusing on your exams. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, we used to play in the evenings at university. It becomes hard as you get older and you've got responsibilities. Um, so we, yeah, have to plan ahead. We have to sort of put those dates in our diaries so we can work around family commitments and yeah we just plan it the dungeon master will organize the actual activity itself um we prefer to meet in person but you can play it online i think there are there are what they call virtual tabletops so even if you are geographically separated um you can kind of log on i haven't really tried them very much but you can log on and play together over the internet a bit like a zoom call but uh, yeah we we tend to try and try and get together yeah just for maybe three or four weekends a year Martin and, and George, I um I have to admit that I've just started doing D and D with my family at home. So my boys are eight and ten, and we thought we'd have a crack at it as a family. But I was listening to how you both got into D and D, and I'm quite jealous of the fact that Martin, in your case, you kind of got sucked in via osmosis about how to do it because I'm the kind of drama theatre person in our house, right? So dungeon master clearly falls to me. And I'm fiddling around, flapping through the book. I'm trying to look up monster details. I'm trying to tell people what dice they're going to be doing, narrating the story. And I just feel like I'm dithering around and I'm really envious of that experience of how you learned. And then, George, when you were describing, you know, how you bumbled through that first time and how you had a great time, but the people with you were like, nah, because it was a bit untidy. I wonder, how did you then establish yourself into understanding what to do so if you if you're learning with people who already do it great but what if you haven't got a clue and you but you still want a taste of these fantastic benefits that martin's been talking about george could, do you want to jump in yeah um well to be fair you never really stop bumbling around you, you never really truly know everything which is going to happen it's a case of still working together to flounder your way forwards and um still come to a conclusion really um so as as there are the core rules to it which depending on who you're playing with some people are very very strict on the rules and some people are very much the case of ah roll a dice and see what happens um it's a case to try and find the right sort of play style uh, really and then over time you do start to get a bit faster you do get a bit quicker um but a lot of the time failing is good failing is fun it's when something when all the bad things happen that sometimes that's the basis to a great story being a fantasy world if you are trying to do a french accent and it's completely failed it's a fantasy world it doesn't matter there's france doesn't exist that could just be the way that they talk and everyone has a laugh everyone has a bit of a giggle and it creates the base to inside jokes sometimes so unlike martin i play mainly online Although I've got everyone based in the same city as me in Bristol, it's easier to do it uh, through online services such as uh, Roll20 or Foundry. But when we are running through and we're trying to find the name of the local pub and the 
person running it has to try and make like a, a, a random pub name and the first thing that comes up on the on the system is just new text that's going to be the name of the pub and we all leap on it and we're having fun and rolling with it these sort of things it's just like a happy accident it's just one of these sort of things which it's you just roll with it really i'm really pleased that the floundering then that's actually part of it because <laughs> i mean we're all having fun while we're trying to learn this together but i'm just thinking of you know martin your amazing experience you've been playing since 1983 you've been playing with those friends for the last 20 years i bet you get together and you're just in and you're doing your thing and that's amazing where we get out we're dusting off the bits of paper everyone's writing things down i'm flapping through a book you know but actually george i i'm really happy then that the dithering and mistake making is all part of it <laughs> yeah we still do that even after all this time so <laughs> don't worry I wonder which question to ask first, whether it's the mistake making and how much that's actually fun or whether it is about what is fixed and what is flexible. So you both mentioned that there is a level of improvisation, but there's also rules and pages to flick through to kind of guide the narrative or the story. So how, how is that balanced? How is the fixed and the improvised balanced? There is a quite often like a fixed uh, structure. So, you know, you want to get from A to B, you know, you want to slay the dragon and rescue the princess. So it's, there's always that sort of crux to the story. The improv is more on how you get there um, and the steps that you take. And that just like any book you read, any movie you watch, if you're always succeeding, it's can sometimes be less rewarding. Um, you need to have the fails. You need to see, oh, you're so close, but then you stumbled at the last minute just so you can do better next time. You can kind of pick yourself up, rise up and do better. But sometimes it is these sorts of mistakes that are made, which you then have to like try and bounce back off. So if you're, say, you're talking to someone and you accidentally like cough in their face and it's trying to recover yourself and it's it can sometimes lead to some of the best stories because it just completely puts you in your feet and you just start panicking and, and have to pick yourself up um, there is a element of if the person running it really knows what they're doing they can lead you down a certain route without you even realizing but a lot of the time it's um, it's up to you and, and how you want to tackle this situation or how do you wish to proceed, just like in real life, really. Although, you know, George, I there's much more of a sense of kind of freedom and fun, isn't there? You know, and um, sort of... <laughs> oh, certainly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, in real life, how you could, you're making it up as you go along and you know, the secret to adulting is that no one knows what they're doing. But unfortunately, that fact is actually stressful and, and exhausting and um, <laughs> we all wish we could escape from it. Whereas on the other hand, you know, the way you set out the D&D &D experience, that whole, oh, we could do this or we could do that. It's kind of liberating, you know, is that right? Yeah, I mean, at the end, but also at the end of the day, uh, because you are um, playing a game with your friends, if there is a, a horrendous mistake which is made, it doesn't have any real world impact. Um, if you do want to talk to someone and you bite your tongue and you you completely completely fail in real life that's quite embarrassing those those are the memories that you keep with you for the rest of your life um in dungeons and dragons it's it's fun 
you realize what, what's going on. You realize it's not probably not that big a deal overall and you can move on. Um, so once you start experiencing that, at least I found in uh, D&D, it is something that you can bring forward to, to life uh, in, in, let's say, the real world. But um, it does give you that, that realization that sometimes things do happen, but you, you roll with what you've got and you can just keep pushing forward. So it sounds like, a, like helping with a life philosophy, but maybe also like a little testing, a testing ground. You know, some of these amazing skills we're meant to have as adults. Is that right, Martin? What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think um, when we were chatting the other day, Kat, you, you said, you know, that you could almost sort of split D&D into well-being and skills. And I think certainly on the sort of skills side of things, there's all sorts of different things that it helps with. Yes, there's kind of, as George says, that sort of safe space to sort of try things and, and um, you know, if they work, then great. If they don't, then, then, then no big deal. But there's all sorts of other things going on. There's literacy, there's numeracy, there's teamwork, um, there's working with you know, people who are very diverse and bring different things to the team. There's resilience, there's problem solving. There's, if you're a DM, there's running meetings, there's sort of business applications. There's all sorts of um, great skills, I think, that you can get out of D&D, social skills. So yeah, there's, it, it, it can do an awful lot for, for people, I think. Thanks, Martin. Just to clarify, being DM is Dungeons Master. <laughs> yes. Yeah, sorry about that. Dungeon Master, yeah, DM um, in D&D. Sometimes you might hear it called GM, which is Games Master. Um, some games refer to it slightly differently, but yeah, same, same thing. Thanks, Martin. And I'm aware Sam's been waiting patiently um, and I think has, um, we'll say the usual things like, I've now written five pages of notes here and what do, where do I begin, people? So, Sam, take it away. It is true, folks. I have written many, many pages of notes already. Um, I've, I've actually been quiet here because I've been reaching for the Serious Ledger book and introduction and because my brain was telling me, Dungeons and Dragons is explicitly mentioned in said book. And I was frantically trying to find where in the book it was found. And I was right. Well, so I should be. I helped write the book. But it was page 79, just for people that are keeping up with the game. It's in the section around games-based hobbies in terms of how we might situate the, the, the core practice or the core activity, uh, and particularly around the core activity of role-playing games. And Dungeons and Dragons is explicitly mentioned there. And what's really interesting is both Martin and George were talking about that there's a couple of, there's two, I think, kind of core tensions here, which are really interesting in terms of the, the broader conversation we're having. The first one is, you know, it is a game based on decision making. It's based on decision making informed by accumulated knowledge of an experience with the game itself. So we have Martin on one side of the spectrum, you know, started playing two years after I was born, just to make you feel really old there, Martin. And we've got Kat, who's very recently joined, you know, but the that accumulated knowledge and experience is part of that hook, isn't it? It's part of that draw. What it is as well, because it's a role-playing game, it's a game of chance. We don't really know what's completely improvised. But inherent within that, and you hear it in what George and, and Martin, are, how they describe their experiences, it's very creative. There's a, you know, it's, we, we, there's no risk aversion here. It's just about being creative, wholly creative in what, in what we're doing. That's core for me in terms of what I'm hearing and for the experience born out of that creativity. You know, we don't necessarily have that 
license or what then links into the second point I've written down here is this sense of agency in because it's a purely fantasy world we're the authors of that world and I think you know there's an element of escapism there isn't there in terms of what we've just discussed particularly in the last two years in terms of COVID I want to escape the you know the 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 draw reality the the wholly negative reality of of the moment and and escaping to a world that I know I have control over um, so that escapism, that authorship and that kind of control or that agency, I think, are key features in how you both describe it. Would you, would you agree with that, Martin? Absolutely. I think that's very insightful. I think, um, you know, in, in the, the, the real world, you know, if there's a problem, we tend to have to uh, go through various kind of uh, hoops to try and solve it. Um, in this game, you know, if there's a particular problem, you can, you know, pick up a sword and, you know, just go and deal with it. So that, that sense of agency, I think, is absolutely key to it. Escapism, you mentioned as well, definitely just being somebody else um, for a while and, and um, seeing the world through somebody else's eyes. Um, that's definitely part of it. Adventure, certainly Gary Gijak's one of the co-creators of D&D. He always said that he thought that's what the big draw was, that, you know, we're, we don't really get to be adventurous very much in society these days. We sort of sit doing things with spreadsheets. You know, we used to go out and bring down a mammoth or something so the tribe could feed and we don't get to do that anymore. We go to the supermarket. So, you know, having an adventure, it's kind of playing into some quite sort of primal instincts potentially. So there's all sorts of things going on in there, creating a challenge. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think it's probably worth mentioning things like progression as well, because, you know, we hear the government talking a lot at the moment about, you know, leveling up. It's that phrase that gets used a lot. That comes from D&D. That's where that phrase starts. And then D&D influenced computer games. And, I, you know, obviously you hear it in that context as well. But this idea of progressing, of sort of moving forward, of getting better and getting more powerful as you get better. Um, and, and the sense of camaraderie as well is something that, um, as I mentioned before, is a really important part of it. Um, so, yes, there's a lot of really um, complex things going on in there, uh, agency being a, a really, really important one. To add on to that as well, uh, what you said about being like the author of your own story, I think, is um, a, a great experience as well. So as there are what's called modules which is like the, the stories published by wizards of the coast the 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 company which owned dungeons and dragons and that goes to what we were saying before about you following that sort of set story but as you're going from point a to point b to point c it is like a chinese whispers where you create your own ways to get there so it is tackling the issues at hand it gives you that sort of freedom you you make something yours um, when you're making this story, it's not a story, it's your story, one that you've made with your friends. And you can come away from these, these, um, these sessions and be happy with yourself. Like, yeah, I did that. That happened because of me. And if you do something wrong, there can be consequences. But it's, again, going back to how you, you tackle those. And it is like giving that sort of freedom and that sort of free space to, to do as you wish. I love the fact you've mentioned space there as well, because again, it's it's an element of, it's certainly a shared space, isn't it? I mean, you can hear it in how both uh, George and Martin are talking here, and it's a shared space and it, and it transcends modalities, if you like. So you've got the face-to-face -face kind of, I guess, traditional way of, of playing the game, but then you've got the, you've got the online version as well, but it's all creating that shared space in which to be creative, and to have fun, as you both said. Martin, over to you. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, something I've heard since I've been uh, I've been lecturing at, at UE a lot is this concept of the co-creation of value. That value happens, you know, in the space between companies and customers, but also um, my marketing hat on, but also just between people. Um, so it just suddenly made me think of that. Listening to you speaking there, uh, Sam, you know, that there's, there's co-creation of, of value being going on in a, in a game of D and D. It's in that space between where we where we interact. Yeah, definitely. You know, I feel like there's something, Martin, from what you described, uh, and George, actually, uh, in the way that that co-creating process creates this sense of connection then, doesn't it? It creates this this bond. So, I mean, if you've been meeting with your uni mates for the last <laughs> 20 years or whatever, that tells you the strength of connection that the activity is bringing to your social relationship. And in fact, it's something we've definitely found as a family. Um, you know, sometimes family time can feel like a... Like a like a bit of a chore if you take the children to you know Peppa Pig land to quote somebody we heard recently uh, these kinds of activities not necessarily that engaging for adults but we've loved our D and D experiences and we've had this huge sense of um, of bond about the shared world that we co-created and the way that everybody could express themselves individually within it most of my family have chosen cool names like Aldrich and Theorin and then my youngest boy wanted to be a human called Jeff with a pet wolf that's fine so he could do that and uh, and so he could participate in his way <laughs> and then as the dungeon master who's in control of everything this I'm, I'm revealing things about myself now this of course suited me down to the ground well i, I suppose cycling back I, I i just wanted to observe it it seems to me to be that the co-creation is a is a social connecting activity you know that gives us this feeling of being with other people being seen by them you know, that shared laughter around the table, you know, is that really the heart of what brings you back to it, do you think? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it, it's having fun, as, as Martin was saying earlier, it's having fun with your friends. Um, every time where we play, it it's, gives you an excuse to, after work, to have to finish finish work for the day and... But yeah, you know what, embrace the imagination behind it, embrace the, uh, the escapism. And it's fun. Um, you're you're going around. You're ha having a bit of a laugh with your mates, and it does give you an opportunity to really embrace that imaginative side. Um, there's not too many outlets uh, in in modern day, especially with everything going on at the moment, um, to really experience those ways to delve into your imagination, to, to really start thinking about right. That's think of character, think of situation and play it out. Uh, unless you're into sort of theatre or improv, um, you don't really get that opportunity. Thanks, George. The definition of improv uh, is of, often based around its collaborative storytelling. And it sounds like playing Dungeons and Dragons is an endeavour of collaborative storytelling. So I wonder, George, if you can kind of compare your experiences of engaging with Dungeons and Dragons and experiences you might have in the improv world and, and how are they similar and how are they different? Um, so I, I've actually had uh, quite a lot of experience in, in before uh, with doing drama. Um, from doing drama, I, I like to make these stories, like playing these characters and that's one of the things which really got me into doing Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, my current group are friends I've made through working with the Kelvin players in Bristol. But then as I did 
D&D more and I got really into it and it was playing around with this sort of improv I delved further into the uh, theatre started taking improv classes so they both bounced off each other really well um, it is a lot of working together with your your fellow players um, so in improv there's a lot of bouncing between people saying yes and is always a, a key uh, phase of a phrase of saying if someone wants to do something and you want to, you don't really disagree you, do, you don't really agree you don't really disagree you're like you can kind of bounce off each other in improv that's critical that's one of the core components of, of improv and i would say that's also one of the key, uh, key principles of playing dungeons and dragons it is a case of working together to try to cooperate and bouncing up these these ideas and these theories and it's like oh what if i do this okay you do that but then this happens and it can be good it can be bad and that's why where the dice comes in because sometimes you can do think of the most fantastic idea and then it's what happens next if it goes great everything goes badly and in improv and especially in drama it is a case of rolling uh, just 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 going along with what's what's happening and it's very easy to translate that across to D&D, but just with more maths. Uh, I have very quickly learned how to do very minor mental maths and how to use a calculator very quickly without even realising. Thanks, George. Got it. That uh, it's improv plus maths equals <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons. Martin, I think you want to come in here. I just want to agree with George about the, the math thing. I think, you know, things like literacy and numeracy, um, you know, it, it, it's definitely a sort of a force for good in those spaces. Um, and I've done some teaching in, in secondary schools and um, encouraged um, sort of um, gaming clubs there because I think it can help with those two, you know, really key um, skills. And certainly for me, numeracy, you know, I, I wasn't probably the most... Uh, numerate kid um, but actually I definitely got better through playing D&D to the point where you know I actually got pretty good at it and uh, it's an important skill for marketing I probably wouldn't be doing my job um, today if I hadn't um, got better with numeracy which I you know almost entirely put down to playing D&D um, when I was a kid. I think um, also one one of the not I, I said I didn't want to scare anyone off as well but with the um I think a lot of people look at D&D and see like the big complicated words as well. And when you're running it, if you if you mispronounce it, that's absolutely fine. If you want to say Mordenkainen and you say Mordy, yeah, that's just that's just what they're called now. It's it's very it's can be quite intimidating at first when you when you see all the the big phrases, the big words, the big the big numbers. But uh, if you just want to roll with it, who's to say that's not the way it is? So actually, it's, it's really inclusive, isn't it? I mean, some of the um, fantastic activities we've um, talked to our guests about on this podcast are things that really I could never dream of doing, honestly, without having more time in my life or really a completely different physical or mental self, being blunt. But, you know, what I love about what you've described there, George, is that any, anyone can participate 
in any way that they want to. And so unlike some of the other types of serious leisure we've sometimes talked about here, there isn't a prerequisite of skills, knowledge and training. So obviously a really experienced dungeon master can create a fantastic experience of people around the table. That's a given. And these, these are, you know, life goals for me. Um, but on the other hand, you can come in at any level then, George, from what you're saying. And, you know, you can, you can engage in whatever way works for you, which is such an appealing proposition. I'm going back to the floundering, really, aren't I? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it, it is one sort of thing. So, so you do get better as, as time goes on. It's like, like any sort of skill. Um, but, but there isn't any big commi commitment cost. Uh, I mean, there, there are like the initial fees to, to get dice, to, to get the initial books. But if you, a lot of it is, well, make-believe. Um, a lot of it is, is in your mind. Um, so if you want to try and get into it, there isn't much stopping you in the way of, oh, I, I don't, I'm not physically up to it. I'm not, um, I don't want to put loads of money in to start a skill which you might not be doing long term. Um, whereas with something like D&D, the biggest commitment I would say is time. Uh, the time to get the grasp the basics and then the time to play because some of the sessions can last um, a number of hours. And depending on how frequently you want to progress in the story, it can take quite a while uh, sometimes to, to get forward, depending on how you act as, um, as players. Thanks, George. Both of you talked about that Dungeons and Dragons and playing it can take a lot of time. But often in the stories we hear uh, with other guests is that their commitment, there, there is a a, a, an increase in activity and then they're stepping up and back and there's re-engaging with the activity and I get the feeling from listening to you that it requires a commitment of time but somehow you always find the time for it am I right is that the right impression and if that's the case how and why is time available to you knowing that you would be both having very busy kind of professional and personal lives um, so how is time not an issue and yet it requires time or did I did you just not tell me that time is an issue so I'm making assumptions here Martin can we start with you yeah I think if you really want to do something and you get value from it you, you'll make time um, and say we try and put weekends in the diary probably around about this time of year we'll normally sort of do a quick doodle poll or something and try and work out if we can find a um, some weekends to get together um so yeah so so we tend to do it in these kind of intensive bursts um and i don't know whether that's better than doing it more regularly sort of weekly in an evening or something but um but certainly that's the way we've we've had to do it to be able to fit it around everything else you say work and family life but it seems to work it seems to work for us um but yes i think you know you you if you if you really want to do something um and you're getting some 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 good value from it you will find a, a way to do it i think yeah, just, just to carry off from that, I find one of the um, biggest challenges of uh, D&D is normally trying to schedule, make sure everyone's free, everyone, everyone's got time and uh, to, to knuckle down. Once it starts being going on for a while, though, you do sort of fall into the routine, fall into the pattern. So, for example, with, with the group I'm with now, because we've been doing it for a while, we've realised that Monday evenings is a time where most of us are normally free. We don't really do much on, on a Monday. Then going forward we know not to book a Monday because we, we, we know that, oh yeah, that's when I'm playing D&D. &D. That's, that's when I'm, I'm doing it with my mates. 
because I do mine online, uh, it also makes it a lot easier because it is a case of whilst working from home, it's just flipping over to the other computer, uh, logging on and, and chatting to my friends. So it makes it a lot easier to, to jump in. And as I said, because I know it's going to be every single Monday, it makes it easier to, to plan. Uh, thanks, George. Funnily enough, my improv rehearsals are also on Monday evening. <laughs> And the scheduling and finding a time is the worst time. So once you've pinned, in, pinned down Monday evening, it becomes the sacred time that nothing ever gets booked on, on that night. I just find it, finding it funny. That's the same night for, for, for you as well. Uh, Sam? Thanks, Petia. Yeah, no, this is really, really interesting. I, I want to build on that. You know, this whole idea of time, time, time and space, and the black hole of... You know, anyway, it's interesting because we're talking about leisure time and how that idea of time takes on a different meaning, doesn't it? You know, so there's a different, there's a different kind of value proposition to our leisure time, perhaps, than there is our obligated or work time. And, you know, how we prioritise both of those things very much depends on what it is we need to be doing, i.e. to pay the bills, but also, you know, what, you know, where we glean those moments or activities that give us that fulfilment that, that's been been kind of outlined uh, by George and Martin. I, I wanted to talk a bit, you know, in relation to that aspect of time and how you're making those choices and decisions of how and when to prioritize. I, I just wondered whether you could both talk a little bit about the role that that kind of finding the time, the decision to prioritize this over that has in your negotiation of your work-life balance if that makes sense. So it's, you know, the stresses and strains of the things we have to do and how through prioritizing the time or prioritizing the core activity of the playing of Dungeons and Dragons helps you to negotiate that. I just wonder whether, because again, kind of leaning on previous conversations through the podcast, you know, there's differing ways of looking at this in the sense that some for some people, their serious leisure pursuit comes first their work is simply a way of paying for that <laughs> you know and, and having a means of paying the bills in order to keep a roof over their heads but you know they have the choice they'd be doing this 100 percent of the time but i'm i'm what i'm hearing and how you're both talking about the playing of the game that core activity is it is a it's a an intentional decision on your part in how you negotiate that kind of balance between work and leisure so i wondered whether you could comment on that for me martin do you want to come in there yeah, um, I mean, it's. I think it helps to sort of compartmentalize it a little bit, and to have those sort of those kind of chunks every three months, something like that, sort of intensive chunks. I think that probably helps. Um, I think I'm very lucky to have a um, fantastic partner who's very understanding and is very happy for me to go away um, every now and again and 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 do this with my friends. And I think she really understands about the well-being side of things. I think she gets that. Um, you know, it's a it's a good thing for me that I get to see my friends, go to the pub on the Friday night, have a chat, um, have a laugh together playing this game and, 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 and come back. And I think she understands the sort of the importance of that, which is fantastic. So I'm very lucky in that regard. And I think that's true of the partners of all of my friends um, that I play with. So, but I think it's, it is about just making sure that you do make time for it. It is easier, I think, in some ways, if you compartmentalise it a little bit. So it is this kind of slightly ring-fenced section of time that you, you you make the room for you know yes work can intrude sometimes we have to work on weekends it's trying to plan your workload to make sure that 
everything is clear, the decks are clear uh, before you're going away to do this, you know, find yourself um, prevented from, from going away at the last minute. So it's about being on top of your, your workload, I think. But yes, it's it's not easy in the in the modern world, and it's probably true for for all of us, whatever our interests might be. But um, I think it's vitally important you do something that gives gives you joy, brings you joy. That's what life's all about, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I mean, on on similar notes, Martin, um, biggest part, one of the greatest things about it is that sort of mental well being. Um, I'm quite lucky in the in the sense that I don't really have much going on on a on a Monday evening. I I know that is majority of the time going to be free. If it wasn't for doing D&D and, and talking to my friends, I would be sitting around watching a movie. I would be reading a book. I would be um, uh, playing some video games. I would still be trying to do something to, to improve my, my mental well-being and to sort of unwind, relax after a tricky day at work. And by doing D&D, it's essentially playing out a movie. It's playing out a book. Um, it's still the same sort of hobby, um in a more social in in a social setting and it gives me that opportunity to improve my well-being so that as a result if I take my little break um for my mind and and for my uh, for my well-being again it means that for the rest of the week I can be happier I can I can attack, uh, tackle things with a bit more of a positive attitude now, I'm hearing loud and clear the, the significance and the centrality of all this to your own kind of subjective well-being uh, for both of you. And I think that, you know, that will come across uh, equally loud and clear to our listeners as well. You know, finding those that time, that space that is truly our own. Um, I just wanted to kind of highlight some things that I've written down. This is the way I do things on this podcast. And then I start to piece them together at the end and make sense of it as I talk. Um which is again for me what just what's fascinating about these conversations but really that co-creation of value you know what value what value the the core leisure experience of doing and playing dungeon and drums is for you is very much co-created it's not something that exists outside of or is prescribed by others it is co-created in every sense of the word and, and i absolutely adore that concept because there's so few opportunities for that i think um so i wanted to make that observation i also wanted to make the observation and drawing in that kind of idea of well-being as well of how you know that agency that the authorship and actually how both of you have stories of well actually i am the author of my own well-being here you know through prioritizing and finding time and space to actually practice this uh, this core activity, it's called leisure activity that I find so fulfilling. So that's another key observation for me. But uh, perhaps probably the most powerful one, an interesting one for me, and this is going to open a can of worms we don't have time for, but um, is this whole idea of it being a game. It's a game. It's non-serious. People might say it's only a game, it's a board game. It's the, you know, and the, the perception, perhaps the connotation is, well, it's, it's, it's not a serious thing. You're just playing a game. And I love that kind of core tension. It's kind of juxtaposition between, well, actually, no, it is serious to me. And it brings in kind of the, the whole kind of um, what the word serious in the context of leisure means from the perspective that we're coming from. So this idea of it um, having such qualities as, you know, earnestness, sincerity, importance, it's, there's a carefulness to it. So actually the idea of being serious about 
a game of this nature is not the same as, say, being serious about your work role. Um, and I think I wanted to draw out that distinction because I think it, it's such a it's such a pro provocative thing when you say I play a game seriously, you know, a board game. I'm very serious about playing board games, or I'm very serious about playing role playing games uh, such as Dungeons and Dragons. And that connotation from the outside looking in is it's a non serious thing when in actual fact the reality is something very very different and has huge implications for personal social well-being we talked about the the importance of belonging connection building those bonds of friendship which do endure and that again is another feature of a serious leisure pursuit that you might step away from it for a period of time but coming back in you're able to lean on those those connections those relationships that you've created um, and the core activity re remains relatively stable in that regard as well so i think you've you've both told different stories but obviously it's it's two sides of the same coin isn't it really but you've been very very articulate in, in what it means to you and i've loved hearing about um about the the different experiential components to that but i just wanted to make that point that final point about you know from the outside looking in this could be perceived as being something very unserious but actually in reality for both of you and for many of the many others or if not all others playing playing the game it is anything but Thank you so much, Sam, for your uh, comments. Um, I think it was really interesting to listen to you and think about the word serious leisure and the juxtaposition. Um, unfortunately, everyone, uh, talking of time, we have run out of time uh, on this podcast. So uh, this is the point where I thank our guests martin williams and george howard for their time um, and their willingness to share their stories with us and give us insight into the world of dungeons and dragons thank you so much um, for letting us into this this world thank you very much been lovely being here yeah no it's been, been absolutely delight it's uh, always nice to to think back on these sort of things and, and delve into why i enjoy it so much Thank you both again. And I would thank our podcast team, Sam Elkington, Kat Branch, uh, Julia Denman and Helga Ganostadir for their continued support and input, whether it's input that you hear or input behind the scene in this podcast. Thank you, everyone. I hope you keep listening, subscribing, liking this podcast, however you uh, it reaches you. And until next time, when we talk about leisure, work and well-being and how and what we can do to engage with leisure seriously. Goodbye. <laughs>